Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. You can listen and subscribe to the show for free on Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Blog Talk Radio, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. For network or show information, visit ByteRadio.me. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special returning guest is Gabrielle Myers, and we will be talking about her new book, Too Many Seeds. Too Many Seeds contains poetic meditations that explore food and nourishment in its complex glory as experienced through field, kitchen, and food factory work as well as more metaphorical ways of feeding the soul. There is an invisible food economy, which many of us are not aware of, from being down in the fields with leaves and roots, to the gassed, sanitized, and inspected world of a dried fruit factory, to the end result of kitchen and catering work. Too Many Seeds takes us on a journey with food production, particularly focused on what this means in America. The poems present intimate snapshots and explorations on how food comes to us and carefully considers how we tend to the earth, others we are in community with as well as ourselves, and what it means for our nourishment. Gabrielle is a professor, writer, and chef. Gabrielle's memoir, Hive Mind, details her time of love, awakening, and tragic loss on an organic farm. You can access links to her memoir, published poems, essays, interviews, YouTube cooking channel, and seasonal recipe blog through her website, which is www.gabriellemeyers.com. And with that, I'd like to welcome Gabrielle to the show. Good day, Gabrielle. Hi, good afternoon, Robert. Thank you for having me on the show. It is my pleasure, and and it has been a little over five and a half years since we spoke about Hive Mind, Um, and I'm sure much has gone on in in the meantime. But but anyway, I do want to let listeners know that the interview with you on Hive Mind is on our archives page, so they just have to look up your name on the archives page and they can listen to that one, uh, which is a wonderful uh, memoir. So, um, but let's talk about this new creation. Um, what was the seed of inspiration for Too Many Seeds? Well, the seed really was in the work that I did uh, for many years in restaurant kitchens. So for about 14 years, I worked for restaurant and catering kitchens in the Napa Valley and in uh, San Francisco Bay Area, really poured my heart into that work, Uh, worked extremely hard for many years. Um, So a lot of the poems come from those experiences. Uh, Also, other seeds for the book uh, were when I worked on an organic farm uh, in Vacaville back in 2006. Um, And I write about that experience in detail in the memoir Hive Mind. Uh, But several of the poems uh, that I wrote during that time period didn't make it into Hive Mind. So they're in the collection Too Many Seeds. Um, And then also uh, many of the seeds come from other work experiences that that I had. Uh, For example, I did a summer job working for the USDA, uh, grading raisins as select and choice uh, for a dried fruit factory uh, out in Vacaville, uh, California, way back in 2006. Um, And so through that experience, I was exposed really to the other side of food and food production. Um, And it was a very different experience than a lot of the farm-to-fork experiences that I had working in restaurant kitchens. Um, And that inspired me, that that difference and that change, and moved me to really write about uh, those experiences and what I saw in in the factory as well. Yeah. Um, And and why the title Too Many Seeds? What what did you mean by that? (laughs) Well, I think it's uh, often we think of – our experiences, I think, in life is sometimes we don't have enough seeds. There's not enough to draw on, perhaps, to gain inspiration. And for me, 
uh, the opposite mm. really uh, became apparent in my life. If anything, there are too many bursts, there are too many seeds, there are too many opportunities. Um, and it just takes, I think, a shift of the mind to see all of them and to really embrace uh, experiences that are out there, all the possibilities, all the seeds, all the things that could grow and flourish if we let them and cultivate them. And so that title to me really hit home with the experiences that I had had in those uh, various jobs and um, so forth. Yeah. Wow. And, I can, and you're right. Not many people, I would think, view life as having, their life as having too many seeds, you know, so that's a the more seeds, the better, you know, and what, and to what you can, you know, and, and hopefully the others will become wildfires, you know, <laughs> but, but don't need that direct attention. Um, so, okay, now you, you have the, the poems from each of those particular jobs. Is there, um, is, is there a particular um, maybe theme for each one, I mean, did, or or did you notice, you know, any particular changes in your writing as you went from one particular environment to the other? Yes, I would say that each poem for me tries to capture a moment. I like to think of poems as emotional snapshots. So in a photograph, you just have a brief uh, understanding of a scene um, and I think you study a photograph in detail to see what you can pick out and understand about a situation um, just on the visual level and I think poetry in a lot of ways does a similar thing but with words and so I try to capture just a snapshot in a moment in time uh, usually they're intense moments that struck me as poetic and inspirational and on fire you know and full of seeds so so to speak um, and so I write about those moments um, through the, the poems I think also, uh, in many ways, I write about an urban environment when I'm focusing on the catering and the kitchen work, and that's in stark contrast, I think, to some of the poems that are focused on a more rural lifestyle, such as on the organic farm, um, and that all shifts entirely, I think, uh, when I go into the dried fruit factory and describe what I see there. I'm very focused on images in my poetry. Um, you know, most poets are, but I really kind of play up those uh, sensory details in my writing because um, for me that's how I can capture an experience or at least capture how I view the experience back then. So. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. Uh, so uh, if you w wouldn't mind, I think it would be beneficial if maybe we had you read um, one of your poems and then we can talk about it. So, you know, you mentioned a couple times the, the impact of the dried food factory had on you. So um, would you mind sharing, you know, a poem from that particular section, and then we can talk about it right after? I would love that. That'd be wonderful. Uh, so the poem I read, it's called The Dried Fruit Factory, Dried Bits. Foam from a large hose, serpentine coils near Frederico's booted feet, Chlorine air makes our lungs burn until tickled numb. The fruit factory's thick steam, preservation. Eduardo's fork lifts scratched ochre. Propane tank, plastic smolder, sugar crystals ignite. Sixteen conveyor belts hinged together under ten rows of cloudy fluorescence. The packing line manager asked Juan, the box stacker, necesita gasolina chingon? Plastic wrap around each pellet mirrors our motion. Fruit refraction delivered onto methyl bromide sprayed cargo trucks. Besides the fruit cutting machine, sulfur ambercot bits pressed by morning line workers still glisten through sanitizing solution. The glycerin rooms communal heat. Sugar water steams into fruit. My heart decorates each face with a desert of dangerous border stories, body adjustments, in which the conveyor belt rises from saguaro and organ pipe, clicking water and steel sparks into red dusted air. Beyond the ceiling fan, blue sky is kissed with exhaust, no one there to tally. Miguel comes with a paint scraper to lift bloomed raisin bits from linoleum. At the 17th hour of his 18 hour workday, his nick, notched knuckles as cold and cavernous 
as a walnut shell in a San Joaquin orchard, push against the floor, loosen the ground, and flatten fruits from their hold. A sound light, gather flies, catch sun-worn ears, pin through earring holes covered by hairnets. Uh, wow. So that poem is from my series, uh, The Dried Fruit Factory Poems, and there are about five poems in Too Many Seeds uh, that are in that series. And this is where I really write in detail about my experiences uh, working for the USDA as a raider, raisin grader at uh, Dried Fruit Factory in Vacaville. And I was really moved to write about that experience because while I was there, I saw how hard a lot of the workers were working throughout their days often they were working multiple jobs and they were hired through an employment agency to work at the dried fruit factory they were most of them undocumented and that's basically how the company got away with hiring them um, they were also exposed to methyl bromide and other uh, chemicals while they were working in this factory and so i was really moved by those workers and i wanted to write about that experience and bring awareness to the situation i think a lot of people aren't really aware of how our food is treated right. and how it's processed, but also how the people that make our food, that grow it and that process it, uh, I think a lot of people aren't really aware of their experiences. And I feel like it's important to, to understand the situation. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, I, by the end of that, I didn't, I wouldn't want to eat one more <laughs> processed dried fruit. <laughs> uh, there are organic raisins so. out there. <laughs> Of raisins, it doesn't say anything about the pesticides or the fumigants that were used on it. Um, and so, basically, you know, if we're buying conventional nuts and fruits, now we just have to assume that they are being sprayed. Um, by law, nobody has to label stuff like that. So, you know, if we're not buying organic, the assumption I'm going to make is that things are sprayed from now on. Right. Wow. Wow. You know, I mean, it's interesting. There, I mean, within that poem, there are like, I've just kind of noted four major um, areas of concern. First of all, you know, the, the danger um, with the, um, the chemicals, you know, danger to the, uh, to the workers as, as well as, you know, potentially, I mean, I, I'm sure they probably have their, um, you know, supporting documentation why it may, may not hurt the end consumer, but you know, the fact that they're using those particular uh, chemicals obviously is not a good thing. Then you got the undocumented um, workers, um, you know, and, and their plight, um, the, the whole food production. And then, you know, you said you work for the USDA. So um, my question is that, I mean, I would, is there, um, I would think the USDA, would be isn't it in charge of like protecting our food supply? Um, is that they that are not, so there I... are a couple of branches to the USDA. Okay. There are a couple of branches, and so this particular branch uh, was invited into the dried fruit factory. Um, basically, the USDA provides a service uh, for that industry in which they grade the raisins select choice and so forth. And so because they were invited in by this company, uh, they didn't feel like they had the authority, I think, or maybe the, the place to take a look at the undocumented worker situation. It was kind of like, we'll turn the other way because you're paying us to be here, essentially. Oh, wow. That, this is kind of, you know, Drives me crazy. <laughs> you know, thinking about the idea of you know the, this particular government. Um, now, granted, it's another branch, but still, the agency, you know, is in charge of, of keeping you know the food supply. Um, and you know, and I don't know what, what's your feeling of the the state of I guess food production in America. How would you kind of give an overall view of the the state of America when it comes to, I guess, quality food production? I think things are shifting and there's a growing awareness, but I think a lot of times in America, and I speak from personal experience, you know, I grew up 
getting things uh, from the the big gross big box grocery stores that were in packages and were very removed from the farm or the ranch in which uh, things were uh, originally produced and kind of cultivated. And so I think in America, basically, we have uh, right now, again, it's, things are shifting and changing, but I think there's a big separation between how our food is produced and what actually goes into that and the process it takes to produce something or cultivate something. Uh, there's a big separation between that and most of the people that buy and consume the food. And there's this huge difference, I think, when you buy something from a big grocery store and it's all cryovac. Maybe it's a piece of chicken thigh or chicken breast. And there's no hint that it actually came from a live animal that had to you know, die for us in order to be able to consume it or that it maybe came from a factory farm where it was shoved in a small cage with a lot of other animals. Um, or, you know, on the flip side of that, hopefully it was raised on a ranch where the animals have a lot of space to move around and be free, you know, and fed a healthy whole grains. Uh, but the, most of us don't really have that experience or that exposure, I think, or that understanding. And I think food education would be something that would be so important for us to have in our K through 12 school system. Um, Cause I think one of the most important things in life is what you eat. I mean, that determines your health, that mental and physical health, I think. So uh, I think there is that big separation, um, but there is growing awareness and there's the farm to fork movement um, that isn't just an elitist thing that's happening in the big cities. I mean, that's something that I think people are getting close to all over the country now, um, from small towns to big towns, you know, from all different walks of life. There's this growing kind of passion and concern and awareness of where food comes from and how can we get the best, healthiest food for ourselves without spending a bunch of money. So there's hope on the horizon, I say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. And, you know, now when you talk about um, for, um, farm to fork, um, is is that, for people who maybe aren't aware, is that just kind of uh, whenever, wherever there are restaurants serving food, that their food sources are known and hopefully local? Exactly. Yes. Hopefully it's from a local farm. Uh, that would be the ideal and like truest interpretation. I think a farm to fork local meaning usually it's within a hundred miles. Um, and usually the people working in the restaurants or in the place that's selling, you know, the farm to fork material, usually they have a relationship with the person that's growing the food. And so they know their name, they know how they treat the plants, uh, and how they treat the animals that are raised there. And so there's a relationship there that's really important. Um, and really at the root of that farm to fork situation. Okay. Well, you know, that's good. Now, um, when it comes to um, nutritional education, do you feel that um, where, where are schools kind, kind of falling short? Now, I, I would kind of comment, you know, I have seen stories where, um, like in urban areas, you have, you know, um, kids involved in, you know, local gardens, you know, that kind of urban farming in, in a way to be able to, you know, at least let kids know where the food comes from. Um, do you do you think that um, that is a you know um, uh, you know the kind of the way to go about uh, you know getting nutrition kind of um, you know ingrained into the kids? I think it's really important to have that connection and to have people when they're young get exposed to how things are grown and to see a seed sprout. And then to see it grow into a seedling and then see it grow into a plant and then see a tomato or a pepper come from it a few months later. I mean, there's nothing more exciting than that. That's life, I think. And you can witness it transform and grow and proliferate on such an intense level. And so I think that's just so magical and it's so important for people to get exposed to that at a young age. I think it's also important for people to know how to cook that tomato and that pepper as well. And so I think basic cooking classes would be really important for people because if you don't get exposure from your family in America and like your mom or your dad or, you know, some kind of elder who's raising you on how to cook and grow food, then basically you almost don't get it unless you're an adult and seek it out. Um, but I think that would be so important to have in our K through 12 school system. I think it would be also really valuable to have an overview or at least some exposure to 
the food systems in the U.S. I mean, you know, we do have, like, large food systems that move an impressive amount of food from one part of the country to the next. And we also import a lot of food, too. And I think that kind of the, how do you express it, the, the food economy would be something that would be really valuable for people to understand as well. And so they know when they're getting something uh, in a package that's shipped in from another country, it goes through certain things and it has to be sprayed to a certain level and so forth. I think knowledge like that is just so important. And then people can make their own decisions about what they want to eat. I think a lot of times we just don't know, and then by default, usually it's because, honestly, what can we afford? We buy that, but it's not always necessarily what's the best for us and what will fully nourish us. Yeah, yeah that's true. That's true. Yeah, those, those would be very, very useful. Now, um, in the introduction, I mentioned um, that the, uh, the idea that there was an invisible food economy. And since you talked about food economy, um, can you talk elaborate a little bit more about maybe, or, or is it that this, the whole idea of the food economy is just not seen by the majority of people? Yeah, I think that unless you are involved in food in this country, often you don't know everything that goes behind it. And that, that's the invisible economy is basically uh, a lot of ways, in a lot of ways what I discuss in the dried fruit factory poems. And most people just assume it's just a raisin, but it's not. <laughs> the thing is that, you know, it's, there's a certain level at which the the producer of that raisin doesn't have to tell you what's in it, um, even though it's not just a raisin, right? It, it's been sprayed with methylbromide. Often there are other pesticides that have been involved in the growth of that raisin and, and so forth. And sometimes things are added to preserve it beyond just drying it, you know, sometimes it's pumped with sugar water to change the flavor, things like that. I would say that's like an invisible economy that many of us are not aware of. Also, you know, I live in the, right on the edge of the San Joaquin Valley, and uh, I work at a school where a lot of my students, uh, their parents were undocumented immigrants, and they worked in the fields and barely made it, and they're working so hard and earning such meager wages. And I think most people in America aren't aware of the extent uh, to which our food economy really does depend on undocumented workers um, that are in this country. And often, unfortunately, in popular media and in more conservative circles, those people that are working so hard to bring food to our plate are vilified uh, when really they're just trying mm -hmm. to bring a better life to themselves and to their family, and they're just trying to survive. And, you know, I think that yeah. an awareness of that could really help our country and realize that we need to all work in partnership with each other. Yeah, yeah, boy, I, I agree with that. And, you know, the, they, they are doing work that I know many people would find very difficult to do, you know, and especially for the wages that they're earning. Um, so we're, we're about halfway through the show, uh, Gabrielle. So I'm going to take just a, a quick break, and and do want to invite people if you'd like to ask any questions. You can call in at six one nine seven eight nine four three five nine. And if you're listening live in the chat room, go ahead and post them there. And then when we come back from commercial, Gabrielle, um, you know your your book um, Hive Mind um, dealt a lot with your work on the farm your um, organic farm. So I want to talk just a little bit about that and maybe get a poem that kind of describes that environment, okay? Okay, sounds wonderful. Thank you, Robert. Right, everyone stay tuned. We'll be right back after this brief break. Hello, this is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us, and I hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows, along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,600 shows that we have had during the past 12 years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, nature photography, calendars, and 5x7 photo greeting cards. Our show is a free podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. 
We are on social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms on the top of our homepage. Our website, byteradio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone. Thank you for staying with us again today. My special guest is Gabrielle Myers, and we are talking about her new book, Too Many Seeds. Um, for more information, you can visit Gabrielle's website, which is www.gabriellemyers.com. And uh, from there, you can also find more information about her first book, Hive Mind. Okay, that we're back, Gabrielle. Hi. Hi, there. great. So, um, as I mentioned before the break, you know, Hive Mind dealt with your memoir um, that dealt with your work um, on the farm. So, just tell, tell us a little bit about that, and maybe um, a, uh, a poem that that you know would have fit in there, but but it didn't, so it made book two. Okay. I'd love to talk about that. So I write about my experiences on an organic farm back in 2006 in the book Hive Mind. Um, really, it's a memoir at that of that time in my life. So it's not just about my experiences on the farm, even though that's kind of the main setting. Uh, often in the book, there are flashbacks to prior experiences with my family. And really, that book to me was about assembling uh a new version of myself that can look forward to a different stage of my life and understanding some family history and how to lead in a positive way towards the future. Um, and in Hive Mind, I write about in my experiences with a female activist farmer um, who is a bold human being. Uh, really, I've never met anybody like her in my life, and I don't think I'll ever meet anybody like her ever again. She was truly an original character who was so passionate about farming and agriculture and was really committed to producing the best vegetables and the best fruits that I think anybody has ever seen in the state of California, if not the world. Um, And something really tragic happened on that farm with her um, that really shook me to my core and I guess made me question, you know, existence and also, you know, how does one lead a passionate life that they can sustain uh, for the span of a natural life lifetime? Uh, so really write about that experience in Hive Mind. And I originally tried to write about my experiences on that farm through poetry. And so I wrote lots of poems. I think I had probably 40 or 50 poems I had written about that experience. But then I realized after a few years of writing out my heart into poetry, that it was something was missing and that I really needed uh, a memoir in the space of prose writing to communicate all the complexities in that experience. And so what you see in Hive Mind is basically it's a hybrid poetry prose manuscript. There are poems in there and then there are sections of prose as well. And I felt like that was the whole way to tell that story. Um, naturally, not all the poems that I wrote made it into Hive Mind, and so a few of those are sprinkled throughout the book Too Many Seeds, um, where I'm really enmeshed in the physical world of that organic farm. Yeah. Um, so would you mind sharing one, one of those that was sprinkled throughout the book? I would love to. So the poem I'd like to read um, to start, and of course I can always read more, is called Early Falls Failed Elegy. Disproportion, herself taken by herself to the remnant carpet's threads, Remington rifle at her mud-winged boots, while the Christmas lima vines flourish, complicated the string trellises we spent an afternoon tying. The pods we pulled deflated, barren. Sparse rain was liquid for the watermelon, Truckle orange in the sky, a peel burned for the tomatoes Negroni. She wasn't the land after. Now the Sacramento Valley is a white siding of rushed housing, crushed tomatoes on highway shoulders, preschool soccer games in mowed-down plum orchards. The sun, dry gold straw, turns into sugar pie pumpkin in delicata squash. In memory, 
her sorrow shattered by a toothful smile over eggplant bells, her lips and cheeks browning tough, loosening from her mind, a heavy fruit skin separating from seed. Wow. Boy, that really paints the picture. <laughs> uh, you know, um, <laughs> that was a rough season. <laughs> uh, um, well, you know, that's, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I love the, the, I would say, both the picture paints, not, not of, uh, you know, dead pods or, you know, uh, but, but the, you paint a picture of kind of what's happening in that particular, in the valley, in that valley area. Uh, no, and, um, you know, and it also kind of, um, you know, talks about the encouragement of urban, you know, in, from urban into the rural areas and, and just that impact on our fruit as well. But I like that one. That's very good. Thank you, Thank you. for saying that. Sure. So now, now with, with that um, experience on, on, the, on the farm, how has, how did that um, impact your um, your views of nutrition and, and how you changed your, how your life changed as a result of that experience? Okay. Well, my life changed as a result of that experience and also, uh, you know, experience in my family, which I write about in Hive Mind. Basically, it, it made me look for reasons to cherish being alive and to really appreciate everything around me. You know, it's like the flip side of somebody that's always looking, or maybe not always, but, you know, often, it, how do I express it? We can fall into this pattern where we're looking at the negative. My life isn't satisfying because of this and that. You know, this relationship isn't satisfying because of this and that. That work experience isn't satisfying because of this and that. And I think that my experiences there taught me what would happen if we had the opposite narrative in our heads. You know, I love this because of this and that. I really appreciate this experience because of this and that. You know, I love this human being because he does this and that. And I think that, you know, if you approach life with a more, it's a positive explanatory style and really think about like appreciating and loving and touching base with the sensuous aspects of life on a daily basis, those all become reasons to live and reasons to embrace uh, whatever the day holds. It doesn't mean everything's always going to be hunky-dory, you know, and we live in this, like, uh, crazy space, you know, <laughs> where bad things don't happen. <laughs> but I think that there's a power that our mind has over our experiences and, of course, over the story that we tell ourselves on a daily basis. And, it, you know, I think we can reprogram ourselves to have a more uh, positive way of embracing our lives and really cherishing every moment we have and not wasting a second of it. Because life, you know, I'll tell you, I'm 46 now, and I think life is way too short. You know, I hope I live till I'm 90 <laughs> or 110, you know, but it's just never going to be yeah. enough time, I don't think, because there's so much out there to embrace, you know, and I can't, like, imagine turning away from it. And so I guess, you know, the farm taught me to never turn away from it, even if it's tough and painful, it's more beautiful than not existing. Yeah, 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 yeah I agree. So, so now when it comes to um, cooking, you're a chef, you know, and you had, had, you've done catering experience, correct? What, yeah. What is, um, what, is, what, what do you, what are maybe some of your, um, like easiest tips, or, or you know, what, what are some? I don't say pet peeves, but I mean, what are some things, simple things that people can do that can improve their nutritional experience? I think that some of the basic things that I've talked about, you know, are like the easiest things to employ. Like I would always, if possible, uh, even if it's a little bit more expensive, go for something that's organic 
you know, something that you're buying from a local farmer or producer, whether it's meat or it's a vegetable or fruit, I think that's always going to be better for you nutritionally and healthier. Um, I think two of their other tips uh, that are kind of standard, like I love olive oil, and I think if you do a drizzle of good olive oil, over your food, uh, even if it's something like salad or if it's, uh, you know, a tri-tip or a piece of chicken uh, or a cracker, it always tastes better if you have a little extra virgin <laughs> olive oil on that. And it's super good and healthy for you, so you can't go wrong. I think also a squeeze of lemon, and my favorite thing is lemon zest. Lemon zest, just a little shave of lemon zest, whether you're cooking something sweet, something savory, whether, again, if it's like a, a meat or a vegetable, you know, a little lemon zest, you can't go wrong with that. And it really picks up the flavor, it rounds it out, and it's healthy for you. It has those essential oils from the lemon. Uh, so you, you really can improve food dramatically with just a little lemon zest. Um, so I think those two things are uh, key, quick, easy solutions <laughs> to dressing up any meal and making it healthier, but also making it taste really good. Yeah. Well, I have my bottle of virgin olive oil uh, right next to my my stove, so I mean it, it gets used a lot. Uh, so I'm glad that I'm in that one. Now the lemons, I have a couple of lemons, but uh, I haven't gotten zesty about them yet. So but I'll uh, keep that in mind for sure when I see that. Um, now you also part also part of your book you mentioned you know dealt with. Um, uh, Poems from that had an urban kind of um, environment. So, can you tell us um, a bit about that particular section? Um, so, a lot of the poems I wrote basically as I was working in restaurants. So, I've had you know a lot of experience. I wrote this this poetry book. Basically, the poems were written over like a four to five year period. Um, so, uh, basically, through my work, uh, was brought to work in restaurant and catering kitchens in San Francisco and Napa. And I write a lot about those experiences uh, in my poetry. In that period, I was really productive and I was writing at least a poem a day. And so, <laughs> you know, I was writing about my experiences um, to keep up the, the practice of my writing. Um, and so in that, uh, I try to really bring the, the sensory experiences uh, of kitchen work and kind of that sacred ritual that, that we fall into uh, in the restaurant kitchens. I was trying to express that through my poetry. Okay. Um, now, what is uh, um, what is your experience? You know, when when it comes to working in the kitchen, um, when I mean, ha have you always been around organic um, types of of cooking or, or restaurants or, or has it just been, you know, because I, way back in my early years, I was a corporate trainer for Denny's Corporation. And, oh, yes. Uh, and I was, um, I was worse in the kitchen. Uh, I, I was like a, a in, in management and I had to go through and actually learn to run a restaurant, you know, run a, a shift. Oh, wow. And, that sounds exciting. Oh, Oh God! <laughs> well, see, um, I can. I have time to tell the story. I was um, a corporate trainer, and I was like the go-between between line, the line managers and servers in the restaurant and management. And um, the line people really liked me. <laughs> the corporate managers, not so much, um, just because. You know, <laughs> Because I had that opinion, you know, that closeness with them. And I don't know why, but anyway, um, my manager um, got real upset with that one time and, and literally banished me to the field um, to learn to run a shift. And I had to do everything from being a server to cooking to, you know, the management thing. Mm -hmm. Now, I had a, a wonderful district manager that was very kind and understanding, knew all the politics and you know, I still had to kind of go through the things I had to go through, but, but when it came time to, you know, my time for server was kind of shortened a little bit here. But they kicked me out of the kitchen. <laughs> that their food costs <laughs> were going to the roof because I was back there. I, I just couldn't do it. I mean, I just, you know. But it, it was a, um, 
I mean, there is also a well-oiled machine in the, in the, in the production of the food. So, um, but it is something that has kept me from going back <laughs> to, to another den. Um, Since that, and that's been a, a good number of decades. Uh, so, um, what, what's your feeling about you know the you know we have this mass production of food, and then we have restaurants who you know cater to spending more time to um, recognizing um, nutrition and you know just some basic um, understanding of food. You know, I'm not saying the others don't have basic, but, but it's, it's, you know what I'm saying? So we have, we have a wide variety of processes for food production. Um, do you, what's your, your view of, like, for example, the fast industry? I mean, you know, is there, um, do you see that kind of define all of the, um, the many um, options for for healthy eating? I think there are a lot of possibilities out there uh, in terms of uh, how food is, how we get it to our plate. You know, I think that it's nice to have that farm-to-table experience. Um, I'm not going to even entertain the notion that it's practical all the time for everybody. And I think that we do need to move massive amounts of food. I think it's possible to move massive amounts of organic food. I think it's possible to offer that at a reasonable price. And I think that, you know, often we're told this false uh, either or kind of situation where either we have industrial food agriculture and we don't pay much for our food or we have this expensive farm-to-table organic experience and I think that there's no reason why we can't find medium ground and satisfy really both camps and have you know move massive amounts of organic uh, produce I think that's entirely possible I had a lot of experiences you know I worked in a lot of different types of uh, restaurants and uh, I even worked like at a cafeteria at UC Davis uh, after I got my graduate degree, and it was right uh, during the recession, and it was really hard to find a good teaching job, and so I was working on call at the UC Davis cafeteria. <laughs> and, you know, I was what's the word? I mean, I wasn't happy, the happiest camper on that situation because I wasn't, <laughs> you know, earning a lot of money to pay for all my student loans. But I learned a lot from that experience. Because they had these huge tilt uh, fryers and these big stock makers, and we would pump out 4,000 meals a day. And I learned so much about, you know, it is possible to bust out a lot of food and cook for a lot of people and still make it taste pretty good. And they use, you know, they did their best for given the situation and, you know, the food cost uh, that they, they had to meet. They did a pretty good job of getting some stuff from local sources. And so, you know, I know it's possible to pump out a lot of food and then still do your best to connect with the local uh, producers. Um, I also would work for catering companies, and sometimes we did, you know, 5,000 uh, people parties uh, for big companies and so forth, like LinkedIn, you know, and Exploratorium in, in San Francisco. And so it takes time and it takes a lot of planning, you know, but it's amazing what you can produce on a massive level um, and still kind of cultivate those local relationships with your producers. So it's, it's interesting yeah. beast, you know, I think you're, you're always learning something. <laughs> uh, if you're open to it, you know, if you try out different experiences. So I really appreciated, you know, my time at the UC Davis cafeteria, to be honest with you. And for that catering company where we did that 5,000 to 6,000 person party, um, cause you really learn, uh, what you need to do and what you do not need to do. <laughs> so many people. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and I can. I mean, that that's kind of what I, I was curious about. You know, again, because you know, you have so many different environments, and you know, and, and it's, I'm sure it's a, a balancing game. You know, or, or balancing act to try to you know maintain the quality and yet you know produce in large quantity. Um, so. Um, yeah. Okay. That that makes sense. Now, I understand that you have a YouTube cooking channel, um, and I'm looking at it right now. Can you tell us a little bit about that YouTube channel? Uh, so you can access it through my website at www.gabriellemyers.com. Um, and then I've been posting videos uh, through the YouTube channel that show people how to make 
some of the seasonal gluten and dairy-free recipes from my website. Um, so I realized as I was, I was basically doing a food blog where I'd post recipes and I'd have written descriptions uh, at the beginning and then a step-by-step process throughout each post. But I realized that most people really need a visual instruction and kind of a hands-on guide in terms of how to make something. There's something that you can show in a video that you can describe it through words. Don't get me wrong. We're a writer. I believe in the power of words, but it's just a different level, <laughs> I think, for accessibility that a lot of people have the videos. And so uh, I started to produce uh, the videos uh, mainly to explain uh, how people can make some of the the recipes that I feature on my food blog. Um, and then I just started really enjoying it and having fun uh, with the videos. Mostly I focused on seasonal sauces because um, I think that there just there are an endless number of variations, I think, of each sauce that people can try out. And so once you understand how to make an aioli from scratch, whether, you know, by hand or through a blender, once you understand the basics of that, then you have – kind of an entryway to make at least 50 other sauces where you add certain things mm-hmm. to that base aioli sauce. Um, and so for me, that's just so exciting to think I can teach somebody how to make uh, an, an aioli from scratch, and then they can take that and express their own creativity for years to come through their own variations of the sauce. So I really started to enjoy uh, showing people how to make those sauces, those base sauces via the YouTube channel. I'm um, taking a little break from it. Because honestly, I'm an English teacher. I'm doing a lot of Zoom meetings, so I <laughs> zoomed out, so to speak. But I'm ready. I'm having renewed vigor, and I'm going to shoot some videos uh, over the winter break uh, and post those on the oh, YouTube yeah. channel. So there's more coming your way. <laughs> you can only Zoom so much, you know. Um, I so yeah, I, I, I that, you know, and, and one of them that um, I'm going to show someone who I know was is the how to punch poach shrimp. Um that was one one thing that I have made recently that I totally bombed. <laughs> bombed that. But um yeah and, and this was a case of following a recipe. You know, I I might you know, I'm really not a cook. Um but uh every now and then I do get the, the urge to you know, I maybe I'll see a, a recipe you know, come through on, on my news feed and say, like, oh, yeah, I can do that one. You know, I can handle that. Um, but when it came to strength, I just completely bombed. Yeah, I think, you know, it's practice. And so the more you practice something, the better you get at it. I think it applies to cooking as well as writing. And so sometimes trying it out a few times is how you get it. I loved that there's nothing more incredible to me than a poached scallop or a poached shrimp. So good to have. Uh. Yeah, yep. It's going to be on my my shopping list. So, uh, so now, what do you hope that you know the the readers are going to take away from too many seeds? I hope they take away a passion for the world around them and kind of an awareness of. Uh, all the sensory engagements that they can have throughout the day, whether they're cooking something, eating something, uh, walking down the street or working in their garden or just going to work in a restaurant kitchen. Um, I think there's a sensual world out there waiting for us to embrace it. And so I hope people take that away from the book as well as knowledge about the different food systems that we have (laughs) as well. Yeah. Yeah. That that would be, yeah, that's good. You know, and, you know the visuals just from the two examples that that you you read. I mean, it's it's wonderful because I mean you you create such um, a vivid picture. So I mean, people really not only understand but they can visualize, and and that's a great thing. Well, um, is there um, any maybe uh, words of wisdom or advice? for folks um, as we are coming on this holiday where people can sometimes overdo it? (laughs) Uh, I think keep it simple. Uh, That almost sounds like a cliche, like keep it simple kind of philosophy, but I really think you can't go wrong with that. You know, it can be, What's the word? I think a lot of times we're ambitious and we try to take on a really complicated recipe. Um, 
or use these fancy ingredients. But I think the best food is a simple food, something that you're going to get from a local producer, whether it be a local rancher or a farmer, and then let those true ingredients show. Don't overcomplicate it with too many spices. Uh, don't add too much sugar <laughs> or anything like that. Yeah. And I think, you know, like the simple salt, uh, a little pepper, lemon zest, olive oil, if you apply that to a good ingredient, you can't go wrong. Unless maybe, you know, you're talking about chocolate. That might be a little weird. <laughs> and olive oil. But I think most things really benefit from that simple treatment. And then don't overcook it. And, you know, cook it like to it's just done. And I think, you know, you can't go wrong with that. Yeah, yeah. That, that's one of my things, I think, is overcooking. I don't know. I mean, I, um, I just um, just don't know when to stop. <laughs> So, but anyway, it's like you said, it practice. And I really practice a lot. So, you know, I'm sure if I, it's I did. That it, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think well, trying well, things thanks. out a few times is really the key, mm-hmm. you know. It's easy, like, I think the first time uh, I cooked anything, I overcooked it, you know. But just going back in and trying it again and getting a feel for how you want it done. Uh, and then you'll de- you'll definitely nail it in the future. Okay. Well, thank you for your time today, Gabrielle. I hope we speak again before another five and a half years. Um, so we'll see what you have up and Do you have anything up and coming in the queue? Uh, so I've just uh, finished a book, another book of poems called Break, Sell, Feed, uh, and I'm looking for a publisher for that right now. So I have it out at about uh, five different publishing houses. And so I hope to hear back soon on a future poetry book publication. Um, and that's really, cool. I've been working hard on that for many years now. So I would love to, to see that in print and promote that book as well. Great. So to all those publishers out there, give Gabrielle a ring. <laughs> so thanks a lot, Gabrielle. <laughs> Published. <laughs> Break selfie. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Robert. Right. It's been such a pleasure to talk with you again. And let's let's make it thanks. before five and a half years <laughs> next time. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, again, everyone, today my special guest has been Gabrielle Myers. We've been talking about her new book, Too Many Seeds. And again, you can find out more by visiting her website, which is www.gabriellemyers.com. And until we speak, uh, until we speak again. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast. From Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Blog Talk Radio, Amazon Music, and Audible. To follow our show on any of those platforms, visit ByteRadio.me and select the one you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.